0: Let's bow together in prayer. Heavenly Father, we're gathered here in this room as your people. We are desirous of hearing your word. Help us to close out the cares and concerns of the world and to focus on what you have to say to us through your word, by your Spirit. And we pray that the human messenger and his frailties and failings will be clothed in the power of the Holy Spirit so that we see Christ and no one else. We've gathered here with Hertz, and joys, victories, and failures. And we pray that the fellowship of those of like precious faith will be an encouragement to us. We ask that you will walk with us not only in this service. But in the time ahead, until those who truly know Christ are with Him forever. So guide us as we look to to Your Word. Speak the needed word to each of us. We surrender to the Lord. and ask that you'll help us to mean that. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. I would invite your attention to the book of Haggai, one of those little books in the Old Testament that many of us have a hard time finding, but it is there. we will notice as we look at chapter 1 of Haggai that it is fairly carefully dated, not only in the first verse but elsewhere. And the date is important because of the events that are taking place, both what is to take place and what has not taken place. And so if I can simply transpose before we read the passage what the second year of King Darius in the sixth month and on the first day of the month means, we are talking about the year 520 B.C., 520 years before Christ, in the fall of the year. Please follow along as I read chapter 1 of Haggai. In the second year of King Darius, or Darius, in the sixth month, on the first day of the month, the word of the Lord came to Haggai, the prophet, to Zerubbabel, son of Shetiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehoshedech, the high priest, saying, Thus speaks the Lord of hosts, saying, This people says, The time has not come, the time that the Lord's house should be built. Then the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet, saying, Is it time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses and this temple to lie in ruins? Now therefore says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. You have sown much and bring in little. You eat, but do do not have enough. You drink, but you are not filled with drink. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages earns wages to put into a bag with holes. Thus says the Lord of hosts, Consider your ways. Go up to the mountains and bring wood, and build the temple, that I may take pleasure in it and be glorified, says the Lord. You looked for much, but indeed it came to little. And when you brought it home, I blew it away, Why, says the Lord of hosts, because of my house that is in ruins, while every one of you runs to his own house. Therefore, the heavens above you withhold the dew, and the earth withholds its fruit. For I called for a drought on the land and the mountains, on the grain, and on the new wine and the oil, on whatever the ground brings forth, on men and livestock, and on all the labor of your hands. Then Zerubbabel, the son of Shetiel, and Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, with all the remnant of the people, obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the words of Haggai the prophet, as the Lord their God had sent them and the people feared the presence of the Lord. Then Haggai, the Lord's messenger, spoke the Lord's message to the people, saying, I am with you, says the Lord. So the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, the son of Jehozadek, the high priest, and the spirit of all the remnant of the people and they came and worked on the house of the Lord of hosts their God on the twenty-fourth day of the sixth month in the second year of King Darius. As I suggested, this uh, date uh, in our calendar uh, would be the fall of, two th- of, uh, of uh, 520 B.C. Sixteen years before the, uh, before that date, the foundations of the Temple were laid and the altar was built. And so these sixteen years had passed and that is all that had happened as far as construction of what we refer to as the Second Temple. It's also perhaps interesting to note that they didn't get this job done with great speed because the second temple was not dedicated until four years later. But they worked at it, and the Lord clearly noted that work. The temple was a symbol of God's presence and a place where the people met, the Old Testament people met God. And so the fact that it had been left, and this is at the return after the captivity, the fact that it had been left these many years was a problem. It was a problem to God because he noted their priorities, and their priorities were not toward him. The priorities were toward themselves and their families. And God does not judge them for building their own houses, that's fine. Uh, And there is a place for that. But God has judged them because they neglected Him. So you cannot take from this passage that it was wrong for them to build their own houses What was wrong for them was they failed to build his house. Now this second temple which was built at this time was destroyed later uh, by Antiochus Epiphanes and then the temple was under construction by Herod at the time of Christ. However, the landmark seems quite important to God. And it was at this landmark, uh, though a different building was being constructed at the time of Christ's birth, it was at this landmark that the Lord Jesus Christ would have been brought in his dedication as a baby. It was at this landmark that he ministered during his so-called earthly ministry. It was at this landmark that he last ministered before his passion, publicly ministered before his passion. And so it has a direct connection to God's presence in the Old Testament and God's presence in Christ in the New Testament. It points to Christ and I trust we can see that as we go forward in this passage. Now the command to consider their ways is given twice and it is basically an indictment of the Old Testament people about their priorities that they were more concerned with themselves than than they were with God. Now you could get the wrong impression from this passage, so let me qualify it just a bit. You could get the impression that if you are obedient to God, you will have physical blessings. That is not axiomatic. That is not universally true. And just set the context for that remark. I would ask you to turn with me to Hebrews chapter 12. It's a familiar verse, but I think it'd be well for us to put our eyes on it. Hebrews chapter 12. In a section on the chastening of the Lord, uh, discipline of God, of his people, you'll notice in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 8, it says, But if you are without chastening, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate and not sons. And let's reflect on this passage in the light of Haggai. God had judged the Old Testament people because they were his people. You could be doing great and experiencing what you identify as the blessing of God But if you are not one of his sons, he often will let you get away with that in this life because judgment is coming eternally. The world looks at a passage like Haggai and says, you know, if everything's going right with me, I must be uh, okay with God. That is not necessarily true. It is true with sons. And God's blessing can be different with different people. Uh, But if we need chastening, if we need correction, if we are truly the sons of God, as those who are truly believers are, then there will be correction And we will not escape it in this life. I hope hope that is clear. So merely prosperity is not a sign that you are obedient. You could be a worldling, not a son of God. And prosperity is variously interpreted even for the sons of God in the Bible. It doesn't mean that you have a million dollars in your bank account, at least not necessarily. And so we need to evaluate this carefully and not make the principle more inclusive than it is. Now looking back at Haggai, the call was to consider their ways both in verse 5 and in verse 7. And these two statements are bookmarks around a principle. I would like you to notice it. Verse 5, consider your ways. Then in verse 6. The Lord defines how He has been judging them. You have sown much, but you bring in little. Now we're talking about things that God is in charge of. You sow seed, but God is the one As the scripture says, that brings the increase. We don't. You sow corn, whether that corn multiplies is in God's hands, not yours. Notice also you eat, but you're not satisfied by what you eat. And satisfaction, after a good meal, we say, well, that's a flesh thing. Well, yes, but ultimately, satisfaction and peace come from God. You drink, but you're not filled. You drink, but you're yet thirsty. That also is in God's area of responsibility, whether you are satisfied. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. See, God is responsible for these sorts of things. And you can do all the work you want, but ultimately peace and satisfaction come from God. He who earns wages, it says there in verse 6, he who earns wages, earns wages to be put into a bag with holes. Let us say that I have $100. I do occasionally. And let's say that there are two choices that I have for that hundred dollars. I can give it to the Lord and His work or I can spend it on something that I think I need. We need to keep in mind that the Lord is in control of all things. He is the God who made shoes last 40 years in the wilderness. And if you know a bit about that wilderness in which the Old Testament people wandered, you will know that apart from God's control, shoes wear out very quickly. But the whole idea of wearing out is is related to the curse. And so God chose in that particular case to lift the curse on, that, on those particular shoes. And so back to my hundred dollars. I can choose to use that on something I think I need rather than giving it to the Lord. And I'm not saying you have to give everything that you come, in, that you come by to the Lord That's not the principle of Scripture, although we need to give ourselves first to the Lord. But we need to come in tune to His priorities. Because, you see, if I spend that on something that I think I need and the Lord chooses to chastise me for that decision, which He may well do, then I'll spend the hundred dollars and more on other things that break down and things that don't work anymore. You see what I'm saying? We deal with an absolute, all-powerful God who through His Son holds everything on this earth together. I'm not trying to scare us. I'm not trying to Uh, give a strong case for cause and effect, and yet there is a principle here of cause and effect for God's people, for God's sons. That does apply to us. If we are faithful in our priorities to Him, He will see that we are taken care of. That doesn't mean we act irresponsibly. But it does mean and, and, uh, that, that we have responsibility to obey him and his priorities. And, and you see it here. They were not condemned for building their houses. They probably needed to do that. What they were condemned for is living in comfortable houses that were totally finished and continuing to live there while leaving God's house, a wasteland. That was the problem. And I I want us to see that because the issue in terms of stewardship is always priorities. I think that's accurate, always priorities. Now, As you read on after He gives the command uh, in verse 8, which we'd like to consider in just a moment, you'll see the application beginning in verse 9 of what's said in verse 6. And let's notice verse 9, You looked for much, but indeed it came to little. And when you brought it home, I I blew it away. Why? Because of my house that is in ruins, while every one of you runs to his own house. Therefore, verse 10, the heavens above you withhold the dew, and the earth withholds its fruit. For I have called for a drought on the land and the mountains, on the grain the new wine and the oil on whatever the ground brings forth, on men and livestock and on all the labor of your hands." You see, once again, here this is kind of clinched. God reminds us that He has control of all of these things. We cannot bank on a bountiful crop from the garden or the field that is in God's hands. Obviously, if we don't plant a crop, we won't get one. But even when you plant it and care for it, God is the one ultimately in control. And God has control even over the work of our hands. Some cars will run 500,000 miles. Some don't make 100. Now you say, well, that's because they aren't taken care of. In my life as a mechanic, I've come to believe that it, yeah, it has to do with how you take care of it, but some people care for them very carefully and still don't give any miles. Because ultimately, whether that iron stays together is in the Lord's hands. And I want us to see the Lord of Hosts is the one with whom we have to do, and when we play games with Him, He can easily bring us to our knees. He rightfully should have the first fruits of our labors, according to biblical principles. And so, ours is to surrender and to follow the priorities that He has placed before us. And when we do that, when we come to that level of commitment where we say, and we live according to that saying, that God is in control and I surrender to Him. I am not God anymore. He is God. We come to that place and we can know His blessing. The command of the Lord here was to go, verse 8, to the mountains, bring wood, build a temple that I may take pleasure in it and be glorified. Doing those things that glorify God in accordance with the principles of His word. And they did that, according to verse 12. And having done that, the Lord gives a different message to the people through Haggai. I am with you, says the Lord. Verse 13. I am with you. The example of the Lord Jesus Christ is the one that we are commanded to follow. We are commanded by Peter, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, to follow in his steps. That is explained to us in Philippians 2, that he had every right to remain in glory at the right hand of the Father but there was a higher priority in the eternal plan of God that He, God the Son, was to come to this earth, live, die, shed His blood for our sins, rise again as the firstfruits of the resurrection, and ascend back to the right hand of the Father, interceding for those who believe. That was a part of the eternal plan of God. That was the priority. And so he said toward the end, not my will but thine be done. He said yes to the priority of the Godhead, of which he was a part. He gave up his glory. He gave up continuing to live in his house, as it were, and glorified the Father in that temple not built with hands. That is what he did. And that is what we are called upon to do. And there is the promise for those who obey. Lo, I am with you to the end of the age. Just as God said through Haggai to the Old Testament people on this occasion, I am with you in verse 13. Christ selflessly gave of himself that we might have life and that we might have it more abundantly. And so we are called to give ourselves, to surrender to the will of God, to surrender in our priorities to him. Yes, it includes giving, but it includes more than that. where he has his rightful place in our lives, where we say, not my will but thine be done. We are not called to neglect family or home, but we are called to have the right things as number one. And strange as it may sound, when God is in his rightful place as king, when he is glorified, there will be enough time for home and family. Some of you may be suffering for the lack of attention to home and family. And you will say, I gave it all to the church and I got nothing at home. There is something wrong with that picture in this way. If we give in accordance with God's priorities to Him. He will see to it that home is where our heart is in its rightful sense. And so when that is not the result I suggest to you that the priorities are wrong. Not that you turn it upside down and put home first And Christ second. But when you put Christ first, really first, in full surrender, home will have its time and its attention. And so I want us to think God's thoughts after Him in this message, this first message of Haggai to the Old Testament people. Let us consider our ways. Let us realize who is in ultimate control of all things. No seed germinates apart from the Son of God who holds all things together. No heart is satisfied apart from the Son of God who brings peace. It requires full surrender to Him. And so consider our ways, recognize the consequences of not doing so, and obey the principles of God as given in His Word with the confidence that He is with us and that he will prosper, us as it would be in his will. And don't look with envy at the world and their millions, because with the psalmist, we must recognize that their end, is eternal judgment. There is nothing to envy. They may have a good time here for a little while, but then eternal judgment awaits. Let us rejoice in the chastisement of our Father when it is necessary to keep us on that straight and narrow path. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, We thank You that You are our God. We thank You that You do love us as many as truly have received Him in full surrender, as Your Word teaches. We thank You for the consequences that we see in this passage that also could be a part of our chastisement when our priorities are wrong. No fruit, no peace, no satisfaction, no dew and no rain. And so Heavenly Father, help us to be mindful of these principles in our Christian lives. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.